This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. People hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Yeah, you're back, Mary Goulet. Hello, Hello. Mary Goulet. Richie Ote. What's up, baby? What's going on? How's everybody doing? All right, all right. Wait, wait. holding it down in the studio. And um, we'll be joined in the studio here shortly by our special guest as we continue our series here on reinventing homelessness. And uh, oh, wow. yeah, so we're, mm-hmm. we're in the thick of that right now, Mary. And we missed you last week. We missed you. Yes, I was on vacation. Yes. Sometimes, I mean, it was good, but sometimes vacation's overrated. I agree. You come back and you're tired and like, man, I need a vacation for my vacation. But Oh, I got sick. Oh, you did? Oh, that's horrible. Today's the best day. You get sick every time you go on vacation. I do. It's horrible. It's like, have you noticed that? I think it's the stress of leaving teenagers at home. Oh, boy. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you this. So, you know, it's interesting, right? So here we are doing our, our series on, on reinventing homelessness, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's got to be, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's got to be like you, you have to feel so fortunate, right, oh, to, yeah. to be able to, to even do that. And then, like you said, not feeling good. And then you come home and it's like, okay, if I need healthcare, like I can, I can go somewhere and I can get mm-hmm. treated, right? I mean, mm-hmm. albeit, you know, healthcare is ridiculously expensive, I mean, which it is, but if you need it, you can, you can get it, right? So um, it's just, it's interesting how in this series that we're doing, and, and just such, it, it's such a dichotomy, I, I guess really is the bottom line, sure. right? Between the haves and the have-nots, and, and, and last week we were talking about this, and and one of the things that I find so interesting in this conversation is we are all just so close to being on the streets when you come right down to it. I mean, and and just the fact that here in America, I mean, even I mean, globally, we could probably tackle that at some point. But I mean, here in America, for sure, just the fact that you have this that the, the the potential, the possibility for ending up on the streets with just losing a paycheck or like, I just, how do we let that happen in America? You know what I mean? Like that's how do we let that happen? Part of it is our fault because we don't save money Yeah, and we like instant gratification. We want what we want. Right. Um, hi, Ann. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for joining us in studio. And, of course. Uh, and Rios is here. Tell us a, a little bit. So we're, we're doing a series right now on reinventing homelessness. Okay. And uh, so you, this is part two uh, of, of our series here. So you are officially part two. Yay. Uh, and, and give folks a little bit of an understanding. And again, thanks for joining us here in the studio. Give us a little bit of an understanding of, uh, of your involvement. Uh, with the organizations and the homeless community and so on. I just want to make sure folks have a clear understanding around that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. As you mentioned, my name is Anne Rios, and I am the executive director of Think Dignity. Think Dignity is a grassroots organization here in San Diego. We have been working alongside homeless individuals for close to 12 years now. 
We have numerous different programs that try and do outreach and help people transition off the streets. The first is our transitional storage center. So we have over 400 lockers and bins for people who are either on the streets or in emergency or transitional shelter to store their belongings while they are um, trying to transition into permanent housing. Mm. We also have our Mod Squad, which includes our mobile operations of Dignity, all of our mobile programs, which are Fresh Start Showers, which are literally mobile showers that go and provide basic hygiene to folks who are on the street. We also have our Street Boutique, which provides menstrual products and undergarments to people who need it that are on the streets, and our Street Cafe, which is a pop-up farmer's market for people who are food insecure and who are living on the street. And lastly, we have a legal department, which hosts eight different legal clinics throughout the city of San Diego. And we have a direct representation program that helps homeless and at-risk youth with criminal defense issues. Oh, good Lord. Wow, that's amazing. Do you have, what's your average age range? That's a great question and one that we get a lot. Most people don't recognize that homelessness affects people across the age spectrum. We have youth that are as young as 14, 8 years old, especially because we have a relationship with Monarch School for the for homeless children and we see unaccompanied minors all the time, really young that maybe they have left an abusive home, so we can help individuals that are as young as 14 in our legal programs and then we also see a growing number of older individuals becoming homeless as well. So our oldest shower or storage center client is probably in their late 70s, early 80s. Oh, that's sad. Do you, are you familiar with Stand Up For Kids? Yes, we are. Yeah, terrific. Um, do you say, see any of those kids transition through to your programs? Absolutely. And the reason that that happens a lot is because, and, and I was explained this from a, a foster youth, is I was, I was told that once you're in the dependency system, you're able to get help. You become uh, dependent of the court. But when you turn 18, there's no longer that support structure in place. And, and they compared it to myself. They said, if you were ever short on rent when you were 18, 19, you probably could have asked your parents for help or somebody could have kept you afloat until the next month when you were able to establish yourself or pay for things. But I don't have anyone. Once I don't, once I couldn't afford rent or once I lost my job, I ended up with a real risk of becoming homeless or I did become homeless. And that's how I ended up on the street. Wait, so... You're saying you yourself? No. Oh. I'm saying that's how... That's no, 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 that no, that, one, that, the foster that's child story. Yep, I exactly. Gotcha. I yeah. got gotcha. you. So let's... God, there's so many different directions to take. Be- yes, Mary. Because they age out of stand-up for kids? No, because they age out of just the foster system in general. Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, just wow, right? First of all, thank you for the work that you're doing out there. But I, 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 we have to take a step back. I got to understand this. So, like, how did you? Why the homeless? Like, I mean, you're obviously smart, articulate. You could probably do a million different things. So, why this initiative for you? Sure. I am, in addition to being the executive director, I'm also the managing attorney for Think Dignity. I went to law school, and I knew that I wanted to work in the public sector. I started initially working for our local rape crisis center where I represented hundreds of victims 
who had suffered from elder abuse, domestic violence, or sexual assault. And I started to recognize that, for instance, with domestic violence victims, once they had determined that they wanted to live free from the abuser, they ran a real risk of becoming homeless. The mm. abuser may have controlled all of the finances. They may have kicked the abuser out of the home but not be able to afford the mortgage any longer. They had a slew of children with them in tow. And, and there was no... There was no understanding of the intersectionality between interpersonal violence and homelessness. I also would see that with sexual assault victims where because of the trauma they endured, it was difficult for them to return back to school, hold a job, and again, they would end up on the street. And I kept wondering, why is no one seeing this overlap? Why is no one seeing this relationship? Mm. And when I started researching organizations that were doing work out in the community, I came across Think Dignity, then known as Girls Think Tank. And we and I became super interested in the work that they were doing and at around the same time they were looking for an executive director and that's how I sort of funneled my way into Think Dignity but it was due to my interest in looking at what work was being done for people who were homeless especially because I could see that so much with my clients. Mm. So in uh, you guys obviously help on, on a number of different fronts part of what um, you know we don't we don't believe that it's possible to come up with a, a solution to this problem just by talking about it here for a month on reinvention radio but we do believe that we can begin creating more awareness around what is going on in the homeless uh, communities and the and folks like yourselves who are doing these you know this really really great work and it, but i have to go back to the question of, of and this is part of what i'm hoping that we can get to more answers around which is sort of treating the the symptoms which in this case would be homelessness versus addressing the disease which would be preventing homelessness in the first place so not that we can help well we can help those like you're doing those who are on the street i'm wondering like is there a way to help and come to solutions to keep people from ending up on the streets in the first place like that that's a big part of what i'm i'm hoping we can try to get to some answers and ideas around throughout this series. Is, is there anything you can see that we can be doing here to, to nip this in the bud before people end up being homeless? Like what, what do we do to prevent more people from ending up on the streets? I think that's a great question and one that most people don't have insight enough to see. They, yeah. they see the ultimate result of homelessness, right. but they're not wondering where that came from, how did this happen, how is it that San Diego, in all its beauty, is the eighth largest city in the country but has the fourth largest percentage of homelessness in it. Mm -hmm. We surpass San Francisco. We are just slightly behind L.A. and Seattle, places that are really renowned for having so much homelessness. Yeah. Um, and that's what happened when I took over as executive director of Think Dignity. I really viewed homelessness as a culmination of systemic failures. This is what happens when so many things go awry. And I think one way to address homelessness is to look at all of the different causation factors that right. lead to it. Yeah. And that's what we've been doing, trying to get a better understanding. And that, that ranges, which I think is really neat because somebody who may not feel passionate about homelessness per se may be able to feel passionate about all the different areas in which ultimately lead to homelessness, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I'll give an example. Yeah. I just gave one about seeing 
the the vast majority of domestic violence victims that also ran the risk of becoming homeless. Mm-hmm. So you may not be passionate necessarily about homelessness, but if you're passionate about violence towards women, that may be an area for you to get involved because ultimately it impacts the high numbers of homelessness that we mm-hmm. see, or the high number of homeless individuals that we so see. So as a percentage, let's just uh, so let's look at that just for a second. So when you uh, work with women specifically mm-hmm. and, and move them into one of these various ways that you can help them and you have these conversations with them, do you have a sense, at least in terms of the, the the pool of folks that you help? I mean, we can't look at it outside of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the data that you have around the people that you serve from a, from a female, from a, in terms of the women that are on the streets that you serve, do you have a sense of how many in terms of a percentage are on the streets as a result of some degree of, uh, of abuse? Just right i mean just let's just look at that individually yeah that um it's really staggering because not only are we looking internally with our programs but there are numerous studies that are done that show anywhere from 90 to 95 percent of the women who are on the street have at some point in their life suffered from interpersonal violence which means that they could have been abused as a child so molested as a child they could have been raped either before or after they were on the street or they suffered um, from domestic violence that is a staggering number one that really always used to take me aback when I first heard about it, 90 to 95 percent of the women who are on the street have suffered some type of abuse. Wow. And and so because of that, like I said, if you're interested in women's issues, that would be a perfect portal for, through which to get involved in homelessness. If you're interested in the criminalization and criminal justice system, we see an inordinate amount of people who have been criminalized also end up homeless. So if we're looking at criminal justice reform, really smart criminal justice reform, what would that look like and how could that impact the people that we see on the street? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many facets in which people can get involved. The school to prison pipeline. Are our schools doing a good job in educating our youth and keeping them in school, keeping them um, from being outside on the street if you start suspending students, if you start um, funneling them out of the typical school system, are they then more apt to end up in the criminal justice system, which we know ultimately impacts the homeless situation? Yeah, so let's let's just address those two things right there. So how, if we're looking from this at this from the standpoint of solutions, so from an abusive relationship standpoint, right, where somebody flees a home or gets the abuser out of the home and then can't pay the mortgage and then gets kicked out. Like, what can we, what can we do to make mm, these resources, like, are there resources that are available to keep them in their homes or to get people out of their homes? Or I'm just trying to figure out, like, from, from, from just that standpoint. Sure. Are you thinking, like, transition? I'm thinking, like, how do we create awareness around options? Like, how do we let people, how do we let women know that, you, you, you know, if you, you, you won't end up on the streets? Like, like are there, pro, like, I, it's education, it's, it's programs, it's, I don't know what it is, but it's, at some point they have to know that they can make that tough decision and not worry about ending up on the street. So I got a quick thing, if you don't mind jumping in here, because I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Um, so when we were talking with Brian last week, for our first episode with, for the homeless. Brian um, Hilliard came on yeah. last week, yeah. And um, th- we had, he had more categories than three, but I'm just going to break it down to three for now. Kind of there was the um, some want to just be homeless. Like homeless by choice. Homeless by choice, some mental illness, and then some an unforeseen circumstance like you're referring to, whether abuse or whatever, mm-hmm. 
like ran out of money. But there was also a staggering statistic, he said, that I think it was 40% of us were just like one paycheck from that happening, too, mm-hmm. or something pretty close to that. It was a high number, yeah. And so this will seem strange for a second, but forgive me. Um, I'm in e-commerce, and one of the things that I've helped to, to help businesses sell things is to realize where were they right before they landed right where they're at right now, like, say, on a sales page or whatever. So my mind instantly thinks, and I think it's where Steve's linear. going. It's a linear thought yeah, process. Like if they ended up homeless and it's, hard to, it's harder to cure it there because they're already homeless and now there's more things and they the don't know about before. the programs. And what can we do the step before? And I think that's yeah. kind of what you're asking, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like what is this? Are there transitional like Again, it's triggers? Yeah, you're you're starting to realize, wow, this is abuse. Like can they are there programs available that we should let people know about ahead of time? So But how do you let them know? Well, you know what I mean? mean? There's there's well for step one we got to find out what, and then we go to how, right? Okay. So, like, if the if what's going on right before the end homeless, we got to say, okay, these are maybe the. I'll stick with three again. The three main reasons: uh, ran out of money, they chose it, mental or, illness. or mental illness, or or let's just say four, or they abused and they wanted to get out of there. So the ones who chose it, it's kind of tough because that group almost horrible choice of words, but almost poisons the rest of the group because that group is the group that the people who just look at the whole group of homeless as a whole and say, well, we'll pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you know, you should just do whatever because they chose it. So some people are thinking that whole group can do that, right? Just pick yourself up by the bootstraps. But I'm specifically so, – so let's just take the group that wants to be homeless out of the equation for this particular conversation. For those people who have a mental illness, probably going to be treated different too, right? Because they're not looking for a solution. They're mentally ill. They're, they're, if they're looking for a solution, they're just – maybe their solution is just to be heard or to be understood. But I'm going to break it to specifically the two groups that I think we can help are the situational situational via abuse or lack of money. What do you see out there or do you know of that we can help make people more aware of and we'll figure out how to do it better later, Mayor, but, but what do you see before they end up homeless we could be doing better for them to help them out? Yeah. The first thing I I know that as you were going through the different categories, you talked about a percentage of the population that wants to be on the street. And I just want to clarify that a little bit because there are some people that have accustomed themselves to living on the street. But then there's another group of people that the title of, you know, they just want to be out there. It happens because they don't accept, a you know, an offer of shelter. They don't accept a shelter bed. And that can happen for a variety of reasons. You know, a lot of times they'll have to leave their spouse on the street. They'll have to leave their pet on the street. They'll have to leave their things on the street. And the example I give or the analogy I give is that if you were to tell me, you, I can give you a brand new mansion in La Jolla. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. It's going to be fully furnished. But you cannot take anything. You cannot take your son. You cannot take your belongings. You can only maybe take a backpack of your things. Would I take it? I wouldn't 
I would not take it. So when we expect for somebody else to do that and potentially leave their spouse on the street, leave the only mementos they may have of their life prior to living on the street because they can't bring all of their belongings in, you're asking for them to essentially do the analogy that I just gave. Leave everything for this this bed that might give you protection, might give you safety and security, but at the expense of what? So I just like to push back a little bit and say that there's a misnomer that people who choose to be homeless because they they refuse to accept a shelter bed or they refuse to accept services. Um, so that, that was just my little pitch right there. For the other part, though, um, I think I... I like the way that you phrased the question because I think you both are asking the same thing. What is there that will prevent people if they're one paycheck away or if they're in an abusive situation from ending up ultimately on the street? The and, and I think if we're going in a chronological order, we have to find out is there anything? That that because you're asking me, can we can we cite something, can we name some references or some resources? There have to be resources, right? So if we're talking about empowering people that may be in a violent situation to leave, that's great. And that was one thing that um, I really just saw a gap in services when I was working for our local rape crisis center because we did do prevention and education. We would go out even to high schools and talk about healthy relationships and what they should and shouldn't look like. Um, and, and once somebody would finally garner the strength to remove themselves from the abusive situation, there are very few shelters available for victims of violence, very, very few. There's very little funding for it. And a homeless shelter is very different than a domestic violence shelter. A mm. domestic violence shelter has advocates that are working there. They have lawyers that may go in and try and help with restraining orders and keeping people safe. They have safe spaces for children. Homeless shelters don't have those types of resources. So when you tell someone, empower yourself, get out of this horrible relationship. Oh, and by the way, you and your children might risk homelessness. Oh, and then what's going to be really cool is the abusive partner, the abusive parent is going to get custody of your kids because mm. he's going to say you're not a fit parent because you're living in a shelter and I have the resources and the financial stability that I can actually take these children so you're going to empower yourself you're going to leave the situation you're going to end up on the street and then you're going to end up without your kids so if we really want to break this cycle we need to find resources for those people that are actually finding the strength within it to leave the abusive situation similarly when we talk about people who are one paycheck away that that can things can come crumbling down very, very quickly. If you imagine an unforeseen medical bill, if, you know, something just, your car needs to get repaired and you weren't expecting it, you're, you know, so many things that can come in and throw a wrench. And a very interesting study, and I recommend everybody visit the Center for Policy Initiative here in, in San Diego. They have done extensive studies that show most people in San Diego, they're not living beneath federal poverty line, which is extremely low. They are, but they are living beneath a level of self-sustainability, which means that everybody's kind of juggling things. Maybe they'll pay one bill this month, but they won't pay one, you know, this mm-hmm. in the same month. Or their, their things are so parceled out finely, finely, that if anything comes in and causes an unexpected cost, yeah. they can no longer afford it. And, and now they can't pay something that might be really integral to their survival. And, and they showed how it impacts people with children, how it impacts people of color. Um, we just don't in San Diego have an appropriate safety net for when somebody may have that unexpected cost. Maybe they need a quick loan. Um, maybe there needs to be more creative things in place for yeah. people to remain in their homes. And there's be- so much money here in San Diego, I was Diego just going to say, I mean, we're a wealthy county. Yeah, well, we- our county board of supervisors has um, 
close to, I mean, I think last time they checked, there was a really heavy push for having our County Board of Supervisors spend down the money that they've essentially been hoarding. So they've been hoarding uh, hoarding a, a couple billion dollars Jesus. that they have not released. And most people don't know about that because they get caught up in city politics and the city council, and we're not recognizing that the County Board of Supervisors, which covers the entire county of San Diego, mm-hmm. and also covers also all of our health and human services, our mental health um, services, all of those types of things, that's governed by the county. They have a surplus There's, right now of $2 billion. They are, and wow. they have not released it. Why? Because they're saying that they would like to get, it has to do with rating. So with county rating saying that we show that we have a surplus in our, in our account, Mm -hmm. but this is going well beyond any kind of surplus that is needed. And, and it needs to be dropped down so that families can benefit from it. And people can, as you mentioned, remain in their home, even having more outreach workers to know about Medi-Cal, you know, that they're covered by health insurance, that we have food stamps available for people, that Mm -hmm. we have um, EBT available, all of these types of things that people need to know about because then that frees up some of their money to to then be able to be used towards rent. Yeah. So to that point, and you're an attorney, what can people who really want to help, what can we do? Call Kristen Gaspar or whoever it is at the county? Yeah. Show up. I tell people all the time, what is happening in our city is we're putting a Band-Aid on a huge wound. Homelessness is becoming an epidemic. Last year, we suffered from the Hep A crisis. There were so many things, um, even now with the tents. What I usually ask of people when when they're very hungry to get involved is to start becoming aware of what's happening in our city and ask ourselves, is this the best way? that we could spend our money? Is this the best way that we can help people get off the street? Is it appropriate that we are spending, I think it's fourteen, sixteen hundred dollars $1,600 per person for somebody to live in a giant tent? That's per person per month. We're spending $1,600 for somebody to live in a giant That's tent. Insane. Seriously? Does that make sense? And no. if it doesn't make sense, contact your council member, show up to those council meetings, tell them that even sending an email, telling just, re- you know, neighbors and people just talk about it when when we talk about our homeless crisis see if what we're doing is making sense are we following other models that have really served well in parts of the country like houston or utah where we where they have placed housing first everywhere has shown that permanent supportive housing works the best it helps alleviate homelessness it has absolutely reduced numbers in places that have implemented it but yet San Diego is resistant to do it, continues to say that we are suffering from a housing shortage and that we can't afford affordable housing, that we can't afford any kind of permanent supportive housing. Mm. What about Section 8? Section 8 right now, there's about an 8 to 10 year wait list to get on it. And then once people get it, landlords, this just passed, this just changed. But previously, landlords were able to discriminate against folks who had it and say that they didn't want to rent to them. So even though they had a Section 8 voucher and the Housing Commission was working tediously on this, trying to get people connected with vouchers, but then the landlords would say, we don't want to accept Section 8. And then the person was left with the voucher, yet still on the street because people wouldn't accept it. Um, If I can just kind of jump in with a few things. I want to take it to a a macro level, right, Um, and just add in a little bit of history and everything. When we're talking about people living paycheck to paycheck, that's not a homeless problem. That's our baseline economy has a problem. That's wages have been stagnant for 20 years problem. When we talk about how do we afford to put people up in housing, that is a baseline economic cost of living problem. 
And so some of these problems that we're trying to solve as quote-unquote homeless problems aren't homeless problems. They're large-scale societal problems Mm -hmm. about the fact that everybody's broke, right? So, A, keep that in mind. And then part of it is a philosophical problem. There's a group of people, you know, just different people have different philosophies. Some people believe that people really don't deserve help, that any help I give to somebody is really weakening them, Mm -hmm. right? And so... They have weakened the safety nets. They're the ones that have made the laws where I can't go out and get help until I've completely destituted myself. Mm -hmm. If I'm at a point that I'm still kind of stable, and if I could get a positive input at this point, I could recover. The philosophically of, no, you really aren't trying hard enough yet, insist you be destitute first. And now that you're destitute, like you said, okay, what do I do with my pets? What do I do with the rest of my family? So we need to recognize in our society there is a group of people that do not want to have a social safety net because they believe that weakens people. So now let's take a big step back in history, if I may, about this whole social safety net. What people need to recognize is everything they talk about is social safety net is a result of industrialization. And we learned this lesson in the 1850s in England. And what it was is industry wants young man, young woman in the factory. So they pulled them off the farm out of that familial social structure. Who took care of the kids? The grandparents. Who do I turn to in a problem? Extended family. We took those two people out of that environment put them in the city, but they still run into the same problems. What do I do with my kids? Well, initially it was, we'll put them into work in the factory. And we said, that's not a good solution. That's why we have public schools, because something has to be done with the kids of the workers. We went, what do you do whenever you get old and feeble and you no longer have that extended family to support you? We came up with Social Security. So just a recognition that a lot of people need to make that the social safety nets are a result of industrialization. And if we're going to have industrialization and have an economy set up in that way, we have to provide solutions. And it's not weakening people to provide them that solution. So if we accept that, now we can have the resources. So that woman in the abusive relationship is now aware of marketing that I've got someplace to go to, and we're going to help you before you become completely desperate and impoverished. But all of that is an attitudinal change that our society has to make. Yeah, I think there's a lot of shaming that goes on and a lot of embarrassment on the part of the person who's struggling a lot Mm -hmm. because we are a wealthy county. So do you want to tell someone that might be making just a, a decent living, hey, I'm in really big trouble here? And Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that there are, I mean, look, societal... No matter how you slice it, I mean, when we start looking at a lot of what a lot of what we needed in the past in terms of uh, these services, in terms of just the way that society is is uh, was structured, I mean, a, a lot of those uh, archaic ways of thinking uh, and and policies that are in place, I mean, certainly 
there, there's no question whatsoever that there needs to be a revamping across the board. That's not going to happen, right? I mean, it, it would take millennia for us to remove from the system all these things that have been ingrained for so long. What, what we can do, I believe, is I believe that we can look at, when, when you talk about familial support, and when you talk about the power of the community, and you talk about um, how someone ends up in a situation where they have no one to turn to, to get whatever it is, if, if it's just a, I mean, you, when you look on the street corners in a lot of impoverished communities, a, a consistent staple of the impoverished, 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 impoverished communities um, is you you see, you know, these uh, these payday loan type companies who come in and you know they exploit those who are having a difficult time making ends meet ridiculous interest rates, I mean, taking an arm and a leg, and, and it's just, it's it's a crying shame. But anytime you go into one of those communities, damn near every block, you see a, a check-and-go, cash-and-go, payday loan, you know, whatever it is, right? And and it just, and I wonder if from a, uh, from a governmental standpoint, if there was, because again, it's like, how do you reach these folks with, with education? How do you reach them through the internet if they don't have a a phone how do you reach them uh, it's like you can't do it through traditional measures that most of us would use to communicate because the funds aren't there to tap into what the rest of society is able to tap into in terms of technology and so on so uh, well, I'm, well, I'm they can they get free phones now you, you but literally since Reagan, free, since Reagan, yeah. they've gotten free phones. But, but what would it matter if they knew that these places were predatory when they still need the money? Well, yeah, that, yeah, but that, no, no, no. So that's my point. He's so, heading towards so, it. So exactly. So that's my point. Is what if instead of having these predatory type of lenders on these street corners, if we're dealing with people who are on the street and they are roaming the streets and they obviously are able to go from point A to point B, whether it's walking or however they get from point A to point B. They will be exposed to perhaps this type of facility where they can come in. They can, you know, even even in in um, uh, when you look at like Kiva dot org, you know, where they give micro loans to people in third world countries. For the love of God, can't we take something out of that playbook or something out of the playbook of these you know check and go type facilities and do something? for the public good where they can come into a facility and if they're a paycheck away and that paycheck didn't come in, that they can get money to, to do what they need to do, right? And without, you know, being, like you said, I mean, being embarrassed. And, and, and it just it just it blows my mind that we're so willing to put these predatory lending facilities on every corner, but we can't just do a pop-up or something to get money into the hands of those who need it in a non-predatory way. But I think it has to do with the comments that were made previously is that this is a wealthy county. I always say that San Diego is a classist city as well. The majority of times when I when I talk to individuals about homelessness and I and I start talking about affordable housing, housing first, permanent supportive housing, 
immediate pushback is, well, why does somebody get free housing when I have to work so hard to pay for my mortgage or my rent that keeps mm-hmm. ballooning every year? And and it there's almost a sense of, well, if you can't afford it or if you can't, if you can't make it work here, get out of San Diego, which which in my mind, correlates with why we don't have people that are up in arms about predatory lending. Because if it doesn't affect you, why do you care? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take out you know, a title loan on my car that gives me 99% interest right, right? because I don't need to. So why do I care that you need it? Yeah. Um, and, and until we start seeing how all of these things work together, which is why I think this conversation is so brilliant and even bringing it back to this idea of... Um, looking to our past and and what it it wanting to end a cycle before somebody becomes destitute or on the street these are all really really important conversations yeah because people as you mentioned at the very beginning look at homelessness and see it what a shame let's build a tent because mm-hmm. then they'll get off our street everyone will live in there but we're and not clear looking. the conscience right Right. Without uh, then I don't have the to problem. see I don't Without have to see them the anymore. Right. It's the band-aid, but Dr. we Shane. didn't but we didn't talk about these loans that are. I see people coming into the legal clinic with, as I mentioned, it's these are loans that have ninety nine percent interest on the one thousand dollars that was given. Right. Isn't right. there a consumer right. law? Right. So you would think so. These are actually legal. I will, when I have the opportunity, I will make the argument that they're unconscionable. What about the CPFB or? or but is but, it but the- see, these are the laws that all got gutted in the past several years. We used to have predatory lending laws, but that interfered with business profitability. And we can't do anything to interfere with business profitability. So, Steve, the ans- the baseline answer to a lot of this is simply wages, wage stagnation in America. You don't have wage stagnation in America. People can afford to pay their bills. You don't have wage stagnation in America. People make enough to get through the week. They don't need the payday loan. Mm-hmm. But as long as we ignore the fact that the economy of the U.S. is screwed up with what the average person makes, yep. then we create all these Band-Aid solutions Without addressing that problem. Well, let me let me ask you this. So, and you uh, you have to go, correct? I think I do. you had, yeah. I'm sorry. So, I'm going to go register um, people who are incarcerated to vote. Wow. So, a lot of people don't know that if you were previously incarcerated, you're allowed to vote, unless you are serving time in prison or on parole for a felony. You are eligible to be registered to vote, even if you are sitting in jail. So, we are going to get those folks that are in jail registered to vote, so that their voices can be heard. A lot of the homeless folks who um, are out on the street also get taken into custody, so we want to make sure that their vote is just as important as everyone else's. Yeah. Can I interject one quick thing? Sure. Sure. I don't know if it's out there, but have you considered? doing a podcast and educating all of us knuckleheads on because you're extremely articulate, knowledgeable, and well-spoken. I've done two. So I've done two with Interfaith Shelters. They run a podcast. It's on iTunes. Mm -hmm. And we talked first about Just Think Dignity and the work that we're doing. And the second, we talked about criminalization of the homeless, which is a really big deal. But even just yours. I think she's saying you should have your own. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I come and they invite me. Yeah. Um, Talk to her about that. Yeah, right. Because that's actually what, I mean, this uh, this this is is Reimagine Radio. But yeah. You, You can't just drop it once here and once there. Put them out. 
like this and educate us. <laughs> yeah. I would, I, and before I take off, I did want to talk about the wage stagnation Please. is such an important issue. A lot of people are under the assumption that folks who are on the street are here because they got bussed in from somewhere, because they came, our weather is so beautiful. The truth is, and this is captured by the Regional Task Force on Homelessness, that do a point in time count every year that 70% of the folks who are on the street lived in San Diego and were housed before they became homeless. And it just so happened that they couldn't afford the rising costs of rent with their wages that were stagnant, that they ended up on the street. Many people don't just all of a sudden end up on the street. They had a job. They lost their job. Maybe they were living in their cars. There's many people that are living in their cars that still have a job and are trying to retain some sense of normalcy in their life. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, so, so that is just so, so important. And also something we don't want to talk about also because we're a classist society. So we're saying I make enough. Why do I care that you don't make enough? If you have a minimum wage job, maybe you should have gone to college. And then that's disregarding the the very, very high student loan debt I have too mm-hmm. that takes a huge chunk out of my check every single month sure, so that I can pay back the government because I went to law school and now I'm helping the homeless because right. I'm so rich. Well, and look, I mean, you're... <laughs> yeah. I know, it feels yeah. like it's futile. Well... It does feel like that, but don't... Th- I look at it and I like to flip the script by thinking... There's so many issues, right, that it can become overwhelming, but there's so many issues that that's so many ways in which you can get involved. Find something that you're passionate about. Find something that you're good you're good at advocating for, whether it's an increase in wages, whether it's against the violence towards women, whether it's for more affordable housing, Section 8. That was actually changed in San Diego from pressure from the public that in San Diego it's actually illegal for landlords to now discriminate mm. against anyone because of the way that they can pay their rent. ThinkDignity.org. Is yes. it? So ThinkDignity.org. It's a very comprehensive website. Okay. So Ann Rios, yeah, ThinkDignity.org, Executive Director. Really appreciate you yeah, joining you us here. Thank you for sharing your brilliance. And we'll continue the conversation about homeless and the homelessness. And no, oh, we're going to get to some solutions here. All right, my friends, we'll talk to you next time on Reinvention Radio. Take care. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.